The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. John Gibbons is with us for his weekly environment spot and you want to start in North Bull Island in Dublin Bay. Uh, good evening, Matt. Yeah, uh, Bull Island is uh, obviously well known to everybody on the north side. It's a, it's a UNESCO biosphere reserve. So basically it's a, an area of particular biodiversity value. This is an area, for example, where migrating birds uh, will come to shelter, to breed and to recuperate before continuing their journeys. It's also, for example, a place where seal pups will come to, to, to I suppose, take their first steps and so on. So it's an incredibly important uh, biodiversity reserve here in Dublin Bay. Uh, it's also, of course, uh, an amenity for people. So, for example, last year, about two million people uh, visited the island. Now, Part of that, of course, Matt, is because for some strange reason, we allow people to drive their cars out onto Bull Island. Now, uh, there's been proposals, I know, I think the Green Party put forward an idea some time back to simply uh, ban cars from the island altogether. Now, to allow pedestrian access only, that would probably help somewhat. But anyway, that's the situation. So so Bull Island is, as I say, a very important uh, biodiversity reserve in, in, in the Dublin Bay area. And what Dublin Council are now proposing, as and from the 30th of April, is to restrict dog walkers. And particularly, they're, they're, they're saying that dog walkers would be required to keep their dogs in a lead in the sand dunes on the North Bull Island. And the idea here is to prevent disturbance to ground nesting birds. Uh, now, the bit that gets me about, about this, Matt, is that they call this a voluntary code and they want to promote responsible behaviour in those visiting the island. And as, as we all know, the problem with people visiting somewhere like Bull Island isn't the responsible people, it's the irresponsible people. So it seems that Dublin Council, uh, Dublin City Council is kind of saying, you know, be well behaved. Now, the problem with that is that that message hits home with people who are inclined to follow the rules. But what happens for those who aren't? Now, when I was looking further back into this, I see that back in, in April, May 2020, this is three years ago, at that time, uh, Dublin City Council were proposing to actually introduce a ban altogether on dog walking uh, again in the Bull Island and on Dollyman Strand. And they They've, they've basically said that they wanted to engage rangers and dog wardens and that they have endeavoured to implement control measures over the years, but it has proven futile and created an unhealthy work environment for staff engaged in enforcement. So what that means basically is the type of people, and I think we all know who we're talking about, who are the problematic people to start with, are probably threatening and menacing to staff. So this presents a huge issue. Do you, you know, if you cannot, and, and they seem to be conceding in 2023 by, by making this what they call a voluntary code, and they have a whole series of different coloured flags, Matt, for different areas. Red flag, no access. Blue flag, dogs on leads. Green flags, dogs off lead. Now, this sounds to me like a recipe for confusion. Even well-intentioned people will, will, won't understand it. It's probably worth, by the way, taking a step back to, to explain why dogs particularly dogs off-leash, are such a hazard to wildlife. The first thing, of course, is unlike, say, cats who we've talked about before, dogs don't tend to kill very many wildlife because they're, they're not great at, at, at chasing them. But what they do instead, they, they inflict what are called sub-lethal sub impacts. So basically what it means is they harry particularly ground-nesting birds. The birds are unable to settle. They're unable to, to raise their chicks. Oftentimes, if they're continually harried by dogs, they abandon their nests, they abandon their sites. Now, I was walking uh, in the kind of Sandy Mount area recently and I noticed uh, in the distance a woman uh, walking her dog. It was well out of range that I could actually speak, even to point this out to her, but 
But basically, she let her dog go. And within a minute or two, I watched hundreds of migratory birds scattering in every direction. And the dog ran up and down the strand. Now, the dog was having the best time ever. And I've no doubt that that woman felt that she was taking her dog out for the exercise. What's the harm? Because of these sub-lethal impacts, it seems benign. But those birds need to feed and they need to breed and they need to rest. Dogs like to be entertained, but bring them to the local park. We need to understand that sensitive wildlife areas, and particularly around our coasts, are one of the few places left on our island where wildlife have any chance of, of recovering. We were talking about biodiversity only yesterday when we had Evie Nihunavon with us in relation to the Citizens' Assembly report. And if people missed it, they can listen back to it from yesterday's uh, Today FM Last Word show. It's on the Today FM website. But you were particularly interested in something that we also brought up with Daniel Murray on Monday's programme, the mental health benefits to protecting biodiversity. That's right, Matt, because obviously the focus this week on from the Citizens' Assembly report, and rightly so, was on the need to protect biodiversity. But sometimes what we forget is that when we protect biodiversity, when we enhance nature, we're also basically helping ourselves. These are what are called pro-social actions. They, they help us. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Hopefully that'll make this point. One was a study of cancer patients. And what they found is basically that those patients who were left to recover in rooms in hospitals, and this was done, by the way, by a controlled trial where they had access to views out over a park. They experienced less pain, required less medication and made fuller recoveries than patients, for example, in the similar sized room who were looking out over a brick wall. So we know time and time again that, I mean, we're, we're all composed, if you like, of a physical and psychological component. And we're also, of course, only a few dozen generations away from basically being of of nature. We've sort of, in more recent times, for all kinds of reasons, we've stepped ourselves away from nature. But we're as much a part of nature as those birds I was describing in the previous uh, item. But what we've done somewhere along the way is we've had a decline in what is called the experience of nature. That means for many people listening to us today, they're not going out and walking. And by the way, if you do go out and walk in nature, which is fantastic, just leave your dog at home. But if, but for or keep people, it on the lead. Or even keep it on the lead. Even that on that lead, Matt, even with a lead, dogs still inflict uh, impacts on nature because birds are naturally startled by them. But anyway, back to point. Um, what scientists are calling the extinction of experience. This is basically the loss of humans of that connection with nature, which uh, Anya described actually beautifully in, in, in her book, uh, which I read recently. And this is what we're seeing essentially is a breakdown in the connection between humans and nature. And this is having really significant physiological and psychological effects on people, on their health and well-being. So the study that was also published coincidentally this week, it did, it's what's called a meta-analysis. So basically it looks at over 800 other studies and if you like, draws some some large uh, conclusions. So what they found, for example, and some of this might sound obvious, but bear with me, they said that nature contacted enhances people's health and well-being. If you're healthy and you have contact with nature, you will stay healthy. If you're unhealthy, you will feel better. This is both a physical, a physiological and also a psychological thing. We already know that outdoor activities, natural sounds, things like gardening, getting out in nature, these are the type of things that are, are, are causing us to have a better mental health. And it's also, for example, it has direct physiological measures. It reduces our blood pressure, it lowers our heart rate and it reduces our dependence, for example, on pharmacology to get through the day. 
One final one. Why do you have an issue with artificial grass? <laughs> right. Yeah, it, this is interesting, Matt. I mean, I, I guess this has become a thing and I, probably what brought it to my mind is when, when my newspaper arrived in this morning, uh, out tumbled a supplement from one of the uh, one of the, the retailers for the Easter weekend and a whole page in it was dedicated to selling people replacement gardens, plastic rollout gardens. Now, just to be super clear about this, you know, what if you decide to dig up your garden and replace it with plastic. What you're doing basically is putting down a petrochemical layer. You're also killing everything underneath it and you're changing the nature of it. And a few things to bear in mind. I know it seems easy and yes, it saves you having to cut it, but just a few things to bear in mind. Number one, animals will continue, including your pets, to use your artificial grass as a toilet. But unlike real grass, basically all it does is stink it up because it's got no place to go, no absorption. Insects that land on this artificial grass will get trapped and many of them will be killed from it. And we're looking, for example, at EU regulations now that are likely to restrict the use of artificial grass. Now, of course, there are places where it makes sense. So let's say, for example, in a, if you're covering, say, a concrete area, maybe in a children's creche and you want to put something down. But the key thing, Matt, probably to remember, apart from the petrochemical, is that this, when this grass erodes and breaks down, you're releasing millions and billions of microplastics and the rainfall will wash those into the waterways and they're ending up, as we've discussed on this program many times before, doing all kinds of havoc. So basically, grass is good. Grass draws in draws in uh, carbon dioxide. Grass is, is a natural substance. And by the way, if grass is too much work, that's no problem. What you do instead of artificial grasses, just let your, let your garden go back to become a wildfire garden. And you can tell your neighbours that, that you're doing it for nature, but in fact it might be just because it's easier. Thank you very much, John Gibbons. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today,